So who was your favorite teacher? Mine was Mr. Maglio. Well, this is Pastor Rob Mayalis, and I'm here with the Ponder New Podcast. In this season of the podcast, we're pondering anew the uh, parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, especially focusing on the, the disconnect between Sunday and Monday, sort of the world of faith and church and Jesus and the reality that we, we live in. And today we're going to Think about uh, Jesus as a teacher, uh, the one who teaches these parables, and what that might say about our relationship uh, with Jesus and with everyone else in the rest of our lives. So without further ado, let's get pondering. When he entered the temple... The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say, from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say, of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, Go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Who is your favorite teacher of all time? For me, it was Mr. Maglio, my third grade teacher. We had moved from West Philly to uh, Westchester, and so I exchanged alleyways and uh, pigeons and... uh, shoes that were hung by their shoestrings over uh, telephone poles and electric posts um, to sort of suburbia and uh, minivans and so forth. And I just was out of sorts. But Mr. Maglio, I knew cared about me. Um, He was willing to correct me when I was out of line. But I just knew that even if the kids were not going to be nice to me, I knew that Mr. Maglio, like if he was in the room, I I was going to be was going to be okay. So he was one of my favorite teachers. I've had many others, but I'm curious who have been your favorite teachers uh, in your life. And I'm also curious what made them good teachers. Um, yeah, what, what made them good teachers for you? Now, part of asking this, because this whole uh, sort of falls, we're thinking about faith and daily life and connecting Sunday and Monday. We're uplifting vocations, and in October, we're uplifting the vocation of teaching and being a teacher. But I also am wanting this because today we hear that Jesus is teaching in the temple. 
And throughout the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as a teacher or even rabbi, right? This Jewish term for, for a teacher. And although as Christians, we really want to make a claim that Jesus is not just a teacher, but a the Lord and Savior, uh, that we shouldn't overlook the fact that most people in the Gospels, if not all of them, first encounter Jesus as a teacher. Again, they first encounter Jesus through his teachings. And so I'm curious, what does it mean for you uh, as an adult to confess and understand Jesus as a teacher, right? And is, um, yeah, what does it mean for you to confess Jesus as, as a teacher? And I wonder if there's a couple different options for how we view uh, Jesus as a teacher. Um, one might be that we uh, view Jesus as a teacher, like an elementary school teacher who we really like, like as long as he's in the room, we're going to be okay. Um, or maybe we view Jesus as sort of this um, high school teacher that we love the content that he taught or she taught, but then after school, um, you know, we were involved in a sport or a, a play or a drama with them, and the way that she uh, or he would interact with us, they really became a mentor. You know, we maybe invited them to our high school or college graduation. We maybe even, you know, there's really kind of really bonding relationships where you get the relationship outside of the classroom. Or maybe you view Jesus as a teacher, um, like, like uh, you know, it's an interesting class, but that's where it stops. Like you, you sort of have this uh, hour that you have to get through, I don't know, chemistry or English or, you know, algebra or whatever. And like the teacher's fine, but like when there's content you need, you figure you need to know for something in life, but there's not really much of a relationship there. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what does it mean for Jesus to be your teacher? Now, of course, we're going to get to the point where we want to say Jesus isn't, just isn't a teacher, but the teacher. And they question his authority. You know, what authority are you doing this? And that's a, an interesting question for us, too. Uh, where does Jesus' authority come from in our lives? Is it that the teachings of Jesus, we've seen them play themselves out in our lives. So we just say, yes, this is truth. Uh, is it that people we've trusted in life claim that Jesus' teaching is to be authoritative and therefore we also think that way or trust their assessment of it? Is it that we have this belief that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and therefore whatever the one who's risen from the dead says, well, that's the one who, of course, has authority. The question of authority is particularly acute in this passage because what, what is happening is that Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. This story takes place right after what many Christians would call Palm Sunday. So Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody comes out with cloaks and with palms and they just throw everything on the ground in this procession and they basically shout out in the words of the Psalms, this verse that says that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, which means Lord save us. And then they shout out, uh, you know, blessed is the coming, uh, 
coming king of David, right? They're associating him with the ancient kings and saying that this is the true anointed one we've been waiting for. And by Jesus not rejecting that, but embracing that, that's Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the long-awaited one. And then Jesus, after that, goes into the temple and he cleanses out the temple and he kicks out all the money sellers. And so Jesus here uh, is showing by his actions that um, this isn't simply an academic debate about who he is or how they're going to interpret Psalm 2 or something. Jesus is really announcing to the world here that he is the teacher, the one who authoritatively speaks for God in such a way that his words will bring about, bring about the, the new world, the new age to come. So you can see here that at stake at the core of this is Jesus as the teacher. And so I'm curious now, how does that affect how you hear and understand this passage? But what does it mean in your life that Jesus is the teacher, the one sent by God to explain to us life, its mysteries, and how to live? In the parable that then Jesus teaches, he talks about people who say yes to God, but then actually don't in their lives live this out sort of the hypocrisy of religion. And he's clearly talking to people in this context who um, are claiming to be followers of God, but the fact that they haven't listened to Jesus shows that they're, they're really not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Again, it's a bold claim here, which he's reemphasizing that he is the one, the Messiah. But what I want to get at here then for us is the Sunday-Monday gap, where on Sunday we, of course, say, oh, yes, Jesus is, is Lord, but then by our actions would, would not reveal that we had fully internalized Jesus's teachings. <laughs> and I'm curious, where does the authority of Jesus's teachings break down for you? Right? If, if Jesus really is the one that we confess him to be, the one who died for our sins, the one who's raised from the dead, the one who's going to bring about the new creation, um, the one who is the teacher, the one who is the word of God made flesh, then why are we not doing everything in our lives that he says that we should do? What's the gap? And I'm curious, where does this authority break down for you? Is the authority because you don't feel like you know the teachings of Jesus? I mean, beyond like, well, I think I'm supposed to be kind. Do you feel like you don't know? Is it that you don't know how these teachings apply to your life? Is it that you don't trust that the words in the gospel are truly the words of Jesus? Is it simply that your heart and your will aren't strong enough to follow through on what your mind knows? Mm. Yes, I think it is worth examining what and in which ways do we have trouble granting Jesus authority over more than the hour of Sunday and letting him truly be the teacher in our lives. My sense is that a step in the right direction is to Think about Jesus less in terms of teachings and more as the teacher. Because sometimes we just start to think about, oh, Jesus says X, Y, or Z. It breaks down into rules. But Jesus really is the teacher. And years later, we don't really remember all the specific rules of the teacher, but we do remember who they were, that they cared for us, that they had something that they wanted us to learn. And they were also willing to put up with our mistakes. And I think this is crucial for us to remember that Jesus is the teacher and teachers are there to guide us and correct us. 
and that we're not going to get it all right every time. And I wonder if we move away from teachings to a teacher, does that help you feel more grace about this, or does that even just turn up the, the pressure for you? So that's some initial ponderings here on Jesus as teacher and the sources of his authority and where that breaks down in our lives. But Rob, some of you might say, if we emphasize Jesus as teacher, are we not sacrificing the understanding of Jesus as Savior? And furthermore, are we then making our relationship with Jesus about law and judgment rather than about grace. And I'd say, I think that's actually a really, I think that's a really uh, fair question, and so I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this uh, season is uh, September, and so that means back-to-school nights. And I confess that as my children get older and I end up going to middle schools and high schools for their back-to-school nights, that I often have a lot of anxiety in those spaces because I, I remember that, especially by the time I got to late high school, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to get good grades. Uh, I wanted to get into a good college and so forth. And, and it really sort of, I just was remembering sort of that, that testing anxiety. I think there can be a way in which um, teachers can come with a real note of, of judgment. I also think about uh, my time in Tanzania this uh, past summer, and I was in a classroom with elementary schoolers, and they were incredibly well-behaved but they were very reluctant to answer the teacher's questions. And what I realized is in that context, uh, a teacher really um, is very much a disciplinarian, and you're expected to sort of memorize what the teacher says and then sort of regurgitate it back. And so if you put that together, and that's your sort of sense of a teacher, one who sort of spits forth information that if you don't spit back the way that they want it, that you get sort of punished... Um, either, you know, mocked, beaten, extreme cases, um, or just you don't get in, you know, you get bad grades, then yeah, that could be a really terrifying understanding of Jesus uh, and that one that we would really want to avoid. And I think sometimes within that, actually, we buy into that when we think of Jesus as teacher. And then, of course, the only, the only move is the Savior, because Jesus has set up this impossible sort of grading rubric in the Sermon on the Mount, and none of us can do it, so we better just move right away to Jesus as Savior and just throw in the towel before we even get going. But I, I don't, I want to think, I wonder if there's a different way we can think about it. When Martin Luther was working uh, 500 years ago on the Apostles' Creed, uh, previous to, to Luther, and whether you're Catholic or Lutheran, I think this is just really uh, fascinating, um, that previous to Luther, the catechism, when they talked, or any kind of catechisms, when they talked about the Apostles' Creed, emphasized the role of the 12 apostles in this and attached uh, each sort of part of the Apostles' Creed. They broke it into 12 sort of sentences or statements, and they attached each one to one of the saints, uh, one of the disciples. And Luther came along and said he didn't want to do it this way. Instead, he really focused on teaching it in terms of the three, what he called articles, we might call paragraphs. I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in God the Holy Spirit. And he did that not because he wanted to get rid of medieval kind of 
Cult of the Saints or anything like that. He didn't get rid of it because three is a better number than 12. Both are biblical. Um, But what he wanted to do is he wanted to shift it away from proposition and statements to a person uh, that we can uh, relate to uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We can't relate to um, was crucified, died, and was buried, right? That becomes a concept, something we have to sort of think through. So Luther actually wants to make the Apostles' Creed a relational statement of faith. And that's actually, if you you think about the word creed, it's from credo, Latin, I trust. It's not just sort of intellectual cognition, but it's really the act of trust. And if you think about credit, even at a bank, let's say a bank gets 100 applications for a loan, and they're all saying they're going to pay back. What the bank has to decide is which individuals are trustworthy. So even if I would agree 100% and would confess that we're saved by grace through faith, and the faith comes through hearing of the promise and the work of the Holy Spirit to make us trust the promise, that in the end, we're not simply trusting the promises of God uh, by, you know, God will heal you, God will be with you, God will raise you up from the dead, God will forgive you. Detached, we're not trusting them, we're not believing them detached from God. In other words, we're, we're believing that God will do this. We're believing that Jesus will do this. The, the statement, you know, Jesus Christ will raise you up in the last day, you're trusting that Jesus will raise you up, but you're trusting Jesus. It's trust in a person that they will actually have the capacity and the faithfulness to follow through on what they said they will do. What I'm getting at here is uh, that even Luther, who um, argues more forcefully than anybody, really, that, we're, that we need to trust in the promises of God and that God is about grace and, and not about law, that Luther makes a move to understand Jesus Christ as a person. And I think this is uh, really Im- important, at least for me in my own piety and even in my preaching, because sometimes I can get so focused on the actions of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done, that he has uh, died and risen for me that he can become simply sort of a, a person hanging on a cross or really even just sort of a figure on a cross or just even just the symbol of the empty tomb. And as meaningful and as powerful as those symbols are, what is beneath it is Jesus Christ as a person. And I, and that um, we're not, again, worshiping a concept. We're not trusting a proposition we're following and confessing and giving our hearts to a person, in this case, Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why we would, as Christians, want to make a claim that God became one of us, that we could relate to, to God. And in this sense, uh, when, I th- when I think of Jesus as a teacher, I probably do go back to somebody um, like my third grade teacher, who really became for me more than simply... Um, somebody who distributed content to me um, or somebody who tested me, but somebody I could tell really took an interest in my person. And this would be true at later points too in high school or in college or in grad school. I really had a sense that this, this teacher really cared about who I was. And, and then when you start to think, wow, okay, so if Jesus really is a person, and that's how Jesus chooses to relate to us, as, 
as a person infused with, with fully with God's Spirit, but, but as one who can come to us, walk with us, embrace us, yes, chastise us, um, or in this case, in this parable, ask us questions, right? Jesus says, well, what do you think about it? What, where are you going with this? What's, what's underneath it? Then I think when, we, when, that really be, when we really allow Jesus to become fully human, um, and then we realize that this is the one who actually loves us and who died and rose for us, then the power of Jesus as Savior is just overwhelming. That it's not just a proposition, a heavenly sort of uh, drama that had to unfold, but somehow this is a a love story for you and for me of of really the one who has walked with us, shaped us, guided us our whole life, finally choosing to give us everything by giving up everything for us. And then that allows me, again, just to be blown away. And I, I think it also then can shift that I can really become then the student. Not the student who needs to punt um, because I just can't do it, but the student who realizes this is a, a lifelong mentorship that, that is always going to be about learning again and again what it means to be a disciple, which actually in Greek truly just means student. What does it mean finally to be a student of the teacher, the teacher who actually took his lesson so seriously that it wasn't an abstraction about care and kindness and mercy, but chose, chose to um, become mercy for us uh, as he dies and then rises for us. Amen.